Welcome. This is Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast, and we've got some very exciting news today. We're learning how to be a real podcast. Woo! So we're now listed on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, CastBox, and so on, so you can find us a little bit more easily. But you want a really easy way to get a hold of us? That's going to be going to adaptivist.com slash live. Um, and we've got a survey up now that you can find at um, adaptivist.com slash live slash survey. Let us know what you think, any suggestions for potential topics, or you can always email us at learn at adaptivist.com. So today we're going to be talking about coffee and workflows. And we're joined by Atlassian consultant, Evan Golden. Hey, how you doing guys? Thanks for having me. Hi, Evan. Thanks for being here. And adaptivist data analyst, Kara Gecki. Hi, I'm ready to chat Java. And last but least, Adaptivist's head of learning and development, Matthew Stubblefield, whose job it is to keep whipping up the cappuccinos. All day, every day, barista at the Adaptivist office. The barista of your dreams, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to start off with our our, uh, new weekly feature, the Thunderbolt Round. And we're going to take about a minute or so to... um, talk about what our personal workflows are for making coffee. So I'm going to start it off, as is the way we do things. Uh, And my process involves the AeroPress, which is a a coffee device that was invented by the same dude who came up with the Aerobee Frisbee. And it is a siphon-like device that makes a single perfect cup of coffee every time if you do it right. But it's got a lot of steps. Right, you got to get the beans ready. You got to prepare the filter. You have to get the water going. You got to measure out the coffee. You got to press the coffee. You got to. So you, it's a complicated thing. So it often will take me, uh, you know, maybe maybe four minutes or so to make a cup of coffee, um, and that got me thinking about how there are these discrete steps in the process, right? But it's not necessarily something I would want to go and report every step along the way. So that that's what got me thinking about the entire topic of today's episode. Um, and that, and I love coffee. That like helps. I'm, I I can't <laughs> go without it, right? So so my process is to make an AeroPress for myself, make an AeroPress for my wife, and then consume, repeat. Postpone, repeat. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's me. That's I'm out for the thunderbolt. Evan, it's on you. Yeah, so I'm gonna lower the standard a little bit. Uh, I, I am not a coffee connoisseur, and as a matter of fact, that process quite intimidated me. Uh, what, 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 coffee is completely functional for me, and I wake up in the morning. Uh, I, I'm walking down the stairs quite carefully because it's dark and, uh, and my eyes are very tired. Uh, I turn a Keurig on. And, and so the Keurig, the blue light, right? Well, well, the blue light strikes me, but first the red light strikes you as well because it's heating up the water. And that, that, that's the longest part of the process itself. Uh, at that point, you know, you're just grabbing for any K-cup that you can find and you're pouring and drinking. Again, my workflow is very similar to yours where it's very simplified. I don't want to report any of that stuff. So it's, it's quite quite simple and open, maybe even in progress and done. Um, but one thing I do want to report on because I, I, we buy these mixed boxes of K cups is I want to know if it was good or bad. So I don't make the same mistake the next day. So I might have a transition before in progress between in progress and done that report that, that that specifies that so I can report on it. Uh, and then I will hopefully not choose the same one again, if it's bad. (laughs) Right on. So Kara, what do you go through to get a cup in the morning? 
Um, nothing like what you two go through. I open my eyes in the morning, I whistle a little tune, and then coffee is provided by the mice and birds that do my chores every day. <laughs> of course, of course, I'm being ridiculous. I tell my husband I want coffee and he brings me coffee. The mice and birds are really <laughs> at making coffee. Kara, <laughs> that is that is a, that is a process. So you wake <laughs> up. It, there's a it's it's like that that one piece that you hear in all the cartoons. Da, 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 and the, the coffee arrives via your husband who's wearing a bird costume, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. All right. All right. Well, that sounds like a great process. Does he always get it right? He always gets it right. You know, I mean, we just, we believe in an equitable division of labor in our household. I invest in nighttime routine with the little kids so that I don't have to do like difficult processes in the morning. Cause that's, uh, that's not my thing. It's a trade-off really. A that's trade-off. Right. I'm, I'm a so, nurturer. I'm a nurturer. <laughs> Matthew, what do you go through to get a cup in the AM? Yeah. So my process for coffee actually starts with, with buying the coffee beans so Springfield, Missouri, where I live, southwest corner of the state, uh, it's kind of a unique town because it's not that large, but we've got five or six custom coffee roasters, like fresh coffee roasters. So we've got fresh coffee available everywhere. So I buy a bag of beans every week uh, and switch to you know, different light roasts, sometimes a medium because uh, my wife likes the roast a little bit darker. And uh, I use a French press at home. So similar to your AeroPress, Ryan, there is a bit of a process there. There's uh, you know, getting grinding the beans and measuring it out using a food scale, make sure I've got the right weight and distribution. Uh, get some filtered water, boil that. And then after I boil it, I let it set for about 20, 30 seconds because the proper temperature to get to maximize your extraction for the coffee is about 190 degrees. And I, I haven't taken the step of investing in a thermometer or a special, you know, boiler yet. But, you know, I want to make sure it's about the right temperature, pour that over uh, the grounds, get a good bloom on it stir it a little bit. So you maximize that extraction. Again, you've got to agitate the, the coffee grounds. Then you let it set for about four minutes before you press relatively gently. Because a big difference between the French press and the AeroPress is the, it's, it's the, the greater the pressure, the higher the extraction. But you know, in an AeroPress, you want that because you're going quick. You want to increase the extraction. But in a French press, you've already given it some time. So you know, our processes differ depending on the tools that we're using and depending on the, the work that we're doing. And we have to take that into account. And so once I finally got it done, pour it into a cup, but there's, there's still one more step, which is giving it another five or 10 minutes because the, really the best temperature to drink coffee at is about 150 degrees. So I've got to let it cool just a little bit more to really get the best flavor out of it. And so, you know, it's, it's knowing the, the different timings and knowing the, the, the mad scientist science See, of it. I think that that is a, a Zen-like approach, really. Um, it's got a, it's got some reflection built into it. You wait for that 30 seconds from the boil. Um, but it also is, you know, I can't believe you wait. (laughs) I got to get that coffee, man. Yeah. I find that initial scold is actually quite, quite wakes you up pretty well. So (laughs) full disclosure, I did work for one of those local roasteries in Springfield, Missouri for quite a few years. I want to give them a shout out the mud house. Um, Fine maker of beverages. It helps that they're around the corner from our office. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't hurt anything. So we go through this process to make our coffee, right? But oftentimes while we're doing our work, when we get head down in our processes, we don't necessarily need to report on every single step, right? Our boss doesn't need to know, okay, now I'm going to save the file, right? Or now I'm going to push this. They, they see it when it happens. Kara, when you're working with our licensing department, our billing department, tell us a little bit about how the process results in the product. 
Well, we have a couple different workflows depending on the kind of tasks that we're doing. So if we're optimizing our process or if we're pulling sales reports, getting figures out, it's very simple. To do, in progress, done. But when we're interacting with our clients making a sale, we have our workflows designed to keep us on top of when is this task with me, with Adaptivist, and when is it in the hands of the client? So that way we know whose court is the ball in and let's make sure that we're you know, keeping those touches, keeping in close communication so that we can meet all of their needs and make a sale. So you see the workflow is kind of a tool you're using, right? Absolutely. You know, and another way that we use it with uh, contracting, for instance, is we can show if our contract is, if it's in development, if it's under review, if it's just waiting for a signature, if it's just waiting for a client signature. That really helps everybody across our team get the perspective, be able to check and see where we at in the process without having to duplicate a lot of effort by, you know, chit-chatting with one another. Where is it? Where is it? That's see the reporting aspect of uh, the workflow is so key to being able to kind of centralize communication. Do you, is there any um, automation built into your workflow? I, I kind of want to talk about automation for a minute. Um, so with automation, when I would say, well, so it automatically reassigns to finance when we hand it over to them, you know, I'm not actually the person taking the money at the end of the process. And so that's a really handy thing. If I just say with finance, it goes over to that team and then they determine, you know, they triage whose job is it now, whose responsibility is it? It's off my plate and I don't have to think about it again. Is the finance department, when it, when it kicks over to finance, are they in your project or are you, is it being... Is there some sort of acti- action that causes it to be sent over there? How, what, where does that happen? You know, it actually stays in our project. It's just something that it becomes the responsibility of somebody who's going to track down and make sure that we're getting the money and all of our figures are reconciled. Because we do a lot of, you know, because we're licensing, we're purchasing from Atlassian and then we're selling to a client. We want to make sure all our numbers match up at the end. Yeah, keep it all streamlined. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So, Evan, when you are helping customers um establish their workflows. What are some of the ways that you you draw out the needs of the team? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, before you really get into the tool, there's there are quite a few steps that I take, uh, you know, when I'm engaged with a client. You know, Matthew brought up a great point last week in the podcast where he was discussing understanding the culture of an organization. And I, I, I can't agree with that more. When you're, when you're going into an engagement, you really want to sit down with them and figure out how they work, right? You want to, you want to know uh, what are their company values? So what are they looking at? How are they looking at collaborating? That, you know, that was a great point that Kara brought up about, you know, how do you want to collaborate within the tool or within your workflow and your process? So once you understand the company culture, uh, then, then you really want to understand how the how the users of the tool and that workflow are going to be uh, using it and how they want to work within the tool. Uh, is the process well documented, right? Uh, who are you reporting for? You mentioned reporting. Um, you know, h- how do you want to report, uh, you know, to upper management, maybe to mid-level internally on the team? Yeah, those are tremendous uh, p- pieces of information. So, maybe you guys can share some of your favorite tips for workflow creation. Just to extend on what Evan was saying, uh, I think keeping reporting in mind from the very beginning is super important. And a lot of people overlook that. Reporting is something that we think about after the fact. We think about it later and we go, okay, well, let's look back at the data that we have and see what it says. But if you're not capturing the data from the beginning, then you don't necessarily have good stuff to work with. And you also need to be thinking about the time it takes to capture that data. So we can build a really complex workflow with 20 or 30 steps in it to capture every little bit. And we can measure the amount of time that's spent in those statuses. 
We can, you know, look at who's assigned what and how long an individual is taking with steps. We could go like, well, Joe only took three minutes for this step, but you know, John over here took 30 minutes. And so we need to work on John and, and provides professional development to help him be better. You know, some of this, you know, it is valuable data. Uh, and, and we want to make sure we capture valuable data. But if we waste time capturing data that doesn't help us make good decisions, then we're not just wasting the time to capture, but we're wasting the time in analyzing it. So when we're thinking about our workflow, like you were saying, Ryan, earlier, sometimes it's just to do in progress done. Sometimes that's all we need. Uh, and so we, we really need to think about what value does this provide? What are our people actually going to interact with? Are they going to be willing to go click the button five or six times in the same 30-minute period? And if they're not, we're going to get bad data, and it's going to throw off our analysis even further. You know, that's a great point, Matthew. Um, you know, it, it actually it, it actually ends up keeping them out of the tool, right? And mm -hmm. that's why overlocking it down with, with certain levels of transitions and conditions of validators, I can't agree with you more. It, it, it really, it, it draws people away from it itself. I mean, you never want to make Jira your job, right? right you don't yeah. want the tool to get in the way of the work. So do you have any specific recommendations for um, triggering workflow activity? Where, where do you really need to set up in there? So my recommendation is typically it, when you're deciding whether or not to add a status or, or how many statuses you should have, sort of the rules of thumb are, do you need to assign this to somebody different? Is it changing hands? Um, if it is, then a new status is helpful because we can automate an, a notification at that point. We can provide a visual indicator. So whenever it's changing hands or if it's staying with the same person, but it's staying with them for a really long period of time. I'm sorry, it's going into parking? Uh, no, no, no. It's not about being on hold, uh, but it's about communicating to the rest of the team that work is progressing. So one of the main purposes of JIRA is to try and reduce meetings that we're dealing with, these status meetings. Like, we don't need to get 15 people to sit around a table and say, here's what we're working on and what we're doing right now. It's such a waste of time and money. So instead, we can use JIRA and the workflow statuses to go, the same person is working on it for a week but they have finished these four different phases and they've got one phase left and we can report on that. So my rule of thumb is kind of, if it's going to take more than say four to eight hours, it sort of depends on the, the company and the workflow. Like if every piece of work you're doing is a four hour piece of work, well, maybe you need to know if something's sitting there for more than 30 minutes or an hour. But if everything you're doing is a month, well, maybe you need a status change every few days. So you just sort of break down your work a little bit, figure out what provides value to you because again, it comes back to data-driven decision-making. You know, what's really helping us make good decisions? And if these statuses aren't, then we don't need them. So, okay, we're at, we're at the coffee shop. You've, you've perfected the French press. I have. That, I can attest to this, having, <laughs> having partaken in Matthew's process of the French press. It is a delightful cup. When you want to bring someone in to make mm. your French press process... How do, you, how do you integrate someone new into the, the culture? I'm picking up what you're putting down. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest. We're talking about Jira and workflows and coffee. Coffee's our metaphor. It's a metaphor, people. Um, a metaphor. It's, it was an idea to get us into this. Ah. <laughs> uh, I move over to Confluence for that. So I would, have, I would have a Confluence page. You know, one of the things we do in project management is we template things. We build these templates. And templates are very valuable training tools and used for onboarding. So I would have a template of here's what it you know, here's our process for making coffee and here's the timings and here's the thing because a status only communicates so much. A status is just a symbol. It helps us connect this thought to a bunch of other information we know. Confluence is a good, great place to store that information. And so 
I would have just sort of like a, a, a document that walks somebody through the process over there. Nice. Can I add to that real quick? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, that Matthew, once again, as always, brings up a wonderful point. I mean, I, I think I've worked with clients where they have these really complex checklists, right, of, of different things that they want. And, and initially, they think they want to embed those in JIRA, where in fact, it's, it's, it's more likely that it's a better idea to put that into confluence and then make the step be to complete that checklist, right? So it, it eases the configuration of JIRA as well as it's, a, it's just a known place where those steps of what, uh, those micro steps of what you're trying to complete are done. And uh, as a quick thing, there are methods of communicating that a checklist in confluence has been completed and linking that into your JIRA project. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so care for licensing and billing, you all have a contractuals checklist. Don't we have you? a checklist for contractuals. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, how do you, what sort of inspired the, the need for that? Oh, well, so we use checklists right there in our JIRA issue for, is this signed by us? Is this signed by the client? Um, oh, sorry. Let me do that again. So we have checklists right in the JIRA issue that address was this reviewed by us? Was this signed by us? Was this signed by the client? And then has our project manager acknowledged the terms and conditions that might be specific to them? Because a lot of those things happen out of order. You know, either we're signing first if it's their document, they're signing first if it's our document, if there are red lines or T's and C's that go back and forth. So that can be really helpful too. That's not a workflow exactly because we have, you know, we're not moving through a linear, you know, workflow, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but by having the different things on the checklist, we know that, you know, who's been responsible now for this information. So instead of workflow statuses, when you do have a nonlinear process, you might use a JIRA checklist. Absolutely. And then we could even use a validator on the transition to say, has this checklist been completed? Nice. And that's all the time we have for today. So I want to thank, tremendous thank you to our guests, Atlassian consultant, Evan Golden. Thanks again, guys. I really, really had a good time. This was fun. And our data analyst, Kara Gecki. Happy to be here. Matthew, as always, nice work. That was a fine cup of coffee. Always good drinking with you, Ryan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I want to remind our kind and uh, generous listeners out there that suggestions, what do you want to hear us talk about on the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast? Um, we want to get those, send them to learn at adaptivist.com. Visit our site at adaptivist.com slash live. And if you're looking to join a team of internationally renowned, awesome Atlassian consultants and so on, um, Adaptivist is hiring. Visit joinadaptivist.com. Uh, join us again next week where we are going to be discussing styling a style guide. See you later, everyone. Mm-hmm.